Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. We're in the final week of our King of Hearts series, and this week we're talking about David, a heart for the glory. David wanted the glory of God. He said, bring the ark of God back to us. David took Zion so that he could put the glory of God, God's presence in Zion. Zion is the church. God wants his presence to be manifest through us. So we're going to talk about how to obtain the glory of God, and then we're going to talk about the benefits of that glory. So come on, let's get right into the word. It's so good to be in your house, Lord. So good to stand and just kind of feel the streams of glory just flowing all over us. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is a river. The city of God is the church. The city of God is us. And there are streams that make glad the city of God. There's a river flowing right now. Right in here right now, there's a river flowing. There's a river. (laughs) There's a river. (laughs) There is a river. It's not, it's not a, a, you know, a concept or a, a picture or some imagery. There really is a river that flows from God's throne. And it's flowing in here right now. And it's full of life. It's enriched in every way to bring blessing in every way. Thank you, Father, for the river of God. Thank you. for the, There will always be a river. There is a river. Bless you, Lord. Hey, we're going to finish up our series on David, the King of Hearts. Amen. Next week, we're going to start our Christmas, our Christmas series. <laughs> Woo! It's going to be a long one. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to start our Easter series. It's called The Scandalous. Scandalous. Because you know what? That my God would die for me. That's scandalous stuff there. That's the scandalous love of God. So we're going to talk about how incredible his grace and his goodness is for us. And we're going to have a big climax with that right up on Easter. We're going to fill this place on Easter. We're going to put out like 100 more chairs. And we're going to fill this place because people are going to come to hear about the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. So we're looking forward to that. So next week, we're going to teach on sin. Amen. You know it, I'm telling you. Some of you people. <laughs> Cheryl said there's rabble in the house. I went, my God. my God. So if you've always wanted to know about sin, we're going to talk about it. We're going to finish up with David, though. First Chronicles 13, verse 13, David said, let us bring back the ark of God. Let us bring the ark of God back to us. Say back to us. That's, that's a good purpose, isn't it? That's, that's a good plan. Let us bring the ark of God back to us. See, that's why David was a man after God's own heart. Because how many know David really wasn't incredibly kingly? He was pretty messed up. But you know what was good about David? You know what was kingly about David? Is he wanted the presence of God to be in its rightful place. And you see, the ark of God was the presence of God, and David wanted the ark to be with him. And so that's why David had a heart after God. John 17, 21, that's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed this in Gethsemane. Jesus prayed and he said, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. So pray that all of us would be one. And what would be the quality of the oneness? The same oneness that he has with the Father. The same quality of oneness that Jesus and the Father have, Jesus said, I pray that they may be one. How many know all of his prayers don't get answered? 
No, they really do get answered. Jesus prays the will of the Father. Jesus puts forth that passion and that desire, and he says, Father, I pray that they may be one, and the quality of their oneness might be the same as the oneness that we have. The usness that we have, bring all of those people into that same usness, and let us all be one together. Look what it says. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. So not only are we to be one, and the quality of oneness is the same as their oneness, but our oneness also has the same quality because we are one with the Father's Son and Holy Ghost. So every one of us are united together in the Godhead. We're all brought into the most beautiful spiritual holy community that ever existed. God, because of the precious blood of Jesus, has given us access to live in, to be in the oneness of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We are in absolute union with God, one spirit with God. Nothing can separate me from God. That's what David wanted. He wanted that oneness with the presence of God. He wanted everyone to have access to the presence of God. David was after the heart of God. The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was in that holy place. Once a year, one person got to go in, and not without blood. He got to put blood on that mercy seat, and there was reconciliation. Once a year, one person got to do that. But David took that Ark, and he put it in the great wide open. He say, hey, everybody, no barriers, no limitations. Gender doesn't matter. Where you came from doesn't matter. Everyone has access to the glory of God. He broke every single rule of the old covenant. He broke every single logistical thing. He broke every barrier. And he said, you know what? I should probably die for this, but I don't give a rip. Because I really believe that he's a merciful God and that what he really wants is access to every person. That's why David had a heart after God. And religion keeps on putting up barriers and barriers and barriers. But Jesus knew God just wants to hang out with us. And he said, let us bring the ark of God back to us. So G David desired what Jesus provided. David desired what Jesus provided. David desired that oneness, that union with God, that access to God. He desired that oneness that Jesus has provided. Second Samuel 5 verse 7 says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I love that word, nevertheless, always the more, nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which was the city of David. It's the city of David. Now, the Jebusites, they had held on to the city of Zion. They've hung on to the stronghold of Zion. See, when Moses came into the land, how much of the land were they supposed to possess? How much? All of it. See, Moses came in the land. Joshua, well, Moses didn't come in, but when Joshua got in the land, he was to take over all of the land. But in all the time that they had been in their promised land, they had never taken Zion. The Jebusites had always been implanted there. It was an incredible stronghold, high cliffs, high places, very easy to defend. So the Jebusites said, we're keeping it. You're not going to kick us out. But when David became the king of Israel, he said, I am taking Zion. And they mocked him. They mocked him, said, you can't do that. Nobody, everyone who's tried can't do it, David said, I will take Zion. You know why David took Zion? Because that's where God wanted to be. Zion is the dwelling place of God Almighty. David took Zion because he wanted to put the ark, the presence of God. He wanted to get God to his resting place. So David took Zion and he took God with him and he brought the very presence of God to Zion and he planted God in where he desired to be. 
David had a heart after God, and that's why he had a heart after God. Psalm chapter 110, verse 2 says, The Lord will send forth from Zion the scepter of your strength. You will rule then in the midst of your foes. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. And it says, Jesus, you're going to be seated and established, and you're going to reign, and you're going to rule. And where will the scepter of your strength go from? Where will you rule and send out your majesty? You're going to do it from Zion. Zion will be your resting place. Zion will be the place that your scepter and your strength is manifest. What is Zion? It's the church. Oh, pastor, you know, you fixated with that whole church thing. No, I'm fixated with the Bible. I believe my Bible. You know, don't let Tom, Dick, or Harry interpret the word for you. Let the Bible interpret the Bible for you. So if you let the Bible interpret the Bible, you'll come to the proper conclusion. Hebrews chapter 12, 18 to 24, give it a read. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. The Bible defines Zion as the church, and it does it in several, several places. So what did David have a heart for? David wanted to get the presence of God to its resting place. Where does God want to dwell forever? The church is the eternal purpose of God. The church is the forever dwelling place and resting place of God. The church is the governing place of Almighty God. The church, we have been set free by the blood of Jesus. He has saved us and cleansed us from all our sins and made us to be kings and priests forever and ever. Amen. Who was that? It's us. It's the church. The church is the mystery. It's the revelation that Christ in you is the hope of glory. David had a heart after God. David wanted to take God to his resting place. And he knew that God wanted to come to a place where every tribe, every nation, every tongue had access to the presence of God. And it became the governing influence over the whole earth. God is going to reign and rule and send his scepter forth right here. We are the government of Almighty God. Settle down. It's not in Toronto, Queens Park. It's not in Ottawa. You know, the, the world is affected. Things are shifting and moving based on what's happening in this community. The eyes of the Lord are not on City Hall. They're on us. You know what? He's looking. He's saying, what are you going to do with that revelation? Hey, how are you? This is why David was one who had a heart after God. First Samuel 7 verse 1 says, the men of Kirath-Urim, it says, they came and they took the ark of the Lord and they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. They brought it to the house of Abinadab, who was a priest, was over on the hill, and they consecrated his son Eliezer and said, Eliezer, we're going to put the priest here, we're going to tuck it over here in your dad's place, and we're going to set you apart, just take care of it, all right? Take care of the ark. And they kept the ark there, and for decades, God's presence was not pursued. For decades, For decades, the presence of God was not pursued. 
The, pres- the ark represented God's presence among them. The ark of God represented God's presence among his people. That's where he met with them. He said, I'll speak with from, to you between the mercy seat. That's where they came and they met with God and his presence was manifest. When the fire by night and the cloud by day, God's presence with them, it was over the ark of the covenant that his presence was manifest. The ark represented the presence of God. They took the presence of God and they shoved it up on the hill over in Abinadab's place and took his son and said, hey, keep an eye on that, will you? And for decades, no one pursued the presence of God. My wife, last weekend, she went to our our national board meeting. She's on our national board, and so she left me alone with the dog. So I was there with Coco, and so we were taking care of things. But when I got home Friday, Coco was kind of like, hey, good to see you. Where's mom? How many know I can speak dog? But I'm like, you know, mom, mom's not coming home tonight. So I fed her, took care of her, took her out for a walk, did her business. And then, you know, I went and do what I always do, watch the Leafs game. And uh, she comes upstairs looking at me like, Rurf, Rurf. I went, she's not, she's not here. She's not coming home tonight. And he said, oh, she goes downstairs. She's sitting on the edge of the couch looking out the window. Rurf, Rurf. I'm like, she's not coming home tonight, you know. So, so at the end of the night, I, I have to get some treats and bribe her to come and let's go to bed. Let's get over here, get there, go get in your place, go to sleep. And she lays there for a bit and she's still looking at me like, right, she's not coming home tonight. Three o'clock in the morning, she goes down the landing and all of a sudden, I didn't know she was there because we got a big fan on it. I love that fan running while I sleep, right? I didn't know she'd left the room and she's down in the hall and she's barking. So Dylan's like, what are you doing? Dylan tried to let her out, do something with her, but she's just running around the house, sitting, looking at windows. Where's mom? Dylan's like, oh my Lord, she's not. He said, have free reign of the house, knock yourself out. So at four o'clock in the morning, she comes up, woof, woof, barking. I went, you know, maybe, maybe, strange, but maybe she's got to do some business. So I took her outside. She went outside. She went over to the fence where the driveway is, and she sat down looking out the fence. And I'm like, what are you doing? I said, Coco, she's not going to come home tonight. And she's just looking at me like, this is weird. I finally took her, shoved her in her crate, said, good night, sweet Coco, because I'm going back to bed. And then, man, Cheryl comes home and she throws a fit. And I said, man, we got to do something about this dog. Coco could not live a moment without the presence of Cheryl. There was some, she had to be there. You know what? But the people of God spent decades, decades. They spent decades where, hey, does anyone remember where God is? Yeah, I'm not sure where he is. Come on, let's go to the temple, offer some sacrifices. Let's go do, let's go to church and, hey, hey, hoopy doopy doopy doo. Hey, how you doing? Good, 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 good. Have you seen the presence of God lately? No, no, I think, I'm not sure where he is. I think he's, I think some guy's watching over him up on that hill over there. They didn't care. They were doing the religious stuff. They were worshiping at the tabernacle. They were doing all the stuff. And God wasn't in the house. We had a couple of folks here last week, and Madeline phones the people. We get their guest cards, and we phone. Two of the people who we called last week said, how how did you enjoy service? They both said, I actually don't have words to explain what happened to me. Was it good? Oh, it was good. I just... I don't have words to explain what happened to me. How could we ever do life without Cheryl? I mean, Coco would die. But the people of God were content to continue to practice religious exercises, and God wasn't there. In fact, some churches, if God shows up, they'd say, well, that was really weird today, wasn't it? 
Hope that doesn't happen again. Church got interrupted with people. Wow. Stuff happened that was unnormal. It was, it was out, it was, our agenda got all screwed up. It's usually a nice tight little hour. We're in, we're out, pay the God bill and go home. But today, God interrupted it. People got up, people were shaking. I heard somebody got healed. Can you imagine? You should be content with your sickness. You know, by the way, my ankle is incredibly strong. Man, glory to Jesus. Yeah. Because I know, like, the reason Desmond prayed for me is he saw me coming in, dragging my foot along, going, what do you do, Pastor? He goes, I got a really sore ankle. I said, well, that's not right. So he got down, laid hands on my knee, and I said, ankle. <laughs> he said, I don't think I can get down that far. I said, oh, sorry. <laughs> then I said, hemorrhoids. He said, well, no, I did. Actually, I did. But anyways, you know. <laughs> Let me, let me give you some history on the ark. Let me give you some history. You ready? History. We got a journey of the ark. The journey of the ark. We got a guy named Eli. Say Eli. Now, Eli was the head priest. He was the top priest. And he's the one who mentored Samuel. So Eli was the priest. And he became big and heavy. And he and his sons, they would rip off the people's sacrifices. And they took the best of it. And they just, they just lived off the priesthood. They were having a good time. So he had a couple sons, one named Hophni and one named Phineas. Now, here's some really good names. You ready? Hophni means cantankerous or to fist fight. Cantankerous, come for supper. Phineas, his name was the mouth of a serpent. Mouth of a serpent. How was school today? It was really good. Really? What did you get on your math test? I got a A. Mouth of a serpent. What would you name your kids that for? And yet these were two wicked, wicked priests. They were, these kids, man, everybody was like, Eli, why don't you do something about your sons? Cantankerous, fist fight. So Ichabod. Now Ichabod is... He, Hophni and Phineas, they were having a fight with the Philistines, and Hophni and Phineas, they decided to go into the Holy of Holies and bring the Ark of the Covenant out. And he said, Tell you what, let's just take the Ark of the Covenant with us. Now, it seems like a good idea. Let's take the presence of God with us and let's go fight with God's presence right with us. Now, that seems to make a lot of sense. And yet that was never, ever a pattern that they were supposed to do. But they thought, you know what? Hey, let's just be presumptuous about the big fella. Let's bring him along. We'll march in the battle. They'll all die, and we can come back here and carry on. Well, they went out there, and they carried the ark with them. And sure enough, God said, you know what? I'm sick of hanging out with you guys. And God went and lived with the Philistines for a while. The Philistines beat the, the Israelites, and, and Phineas' wife had a baby, and she had a baby that day. They came back and they said, your husband died, and the ark of the Lord is gone with the Philistines. And when she heard that, she gave birth to her child, and she dialed and died in childbirth. childbirth. They said, what should we name the child? And she said, Ichabod. Eli fell off his chair, and Eli died. Phineas's wife died, and the declaration was Ichabod was born, and this child's name meant no glory. The glory of the Lord has departed. So this is the journey that the ark's been on. God finally got so fed up hanging out with his own people, he went and he hung out with the Philistines. All right. So then there's Dagon. Say Dagon. So in their culture, when we go to battle, it's my God against your God. That was the culture. That's the way they did things. We might be fighting down here, but we win or you win based on whose God is God. And God, listen to this now, if you lose, it doesn't mean God lost. 
The Israelite lost a battle there, but it doesn't mean God lost. So you know what? Sometimes our losses aren't God's losses. Oh, that was interesting. So here it is, the presence of God. They take it into their temple. They've, they've got their God standing there. Dagon is standing big and tall. And they said, let's put their God in front of our God, and then we're going to throw a party tomorrow. So they set the Ark of the Covenant up in their temple and say, hey, let's come back tomorrow, have a feast, have a party, and we're going to celebrate because our God's better than your God. Our God beat up your God. Woo, woo. So then they got there the next day, and Dagon... He was bowing right in front of the ark of the Lord. Because there shall be no gods before me, says the Lord. There are no gods. you got stuff in your life that's standing up before God. There will be no gods before the Almighty. So Dagon fell on his face. They went, well, that's not good. What happened there? So they propped him back up and said, cancel the party till tomorrow. Everybody come back tomorrow. We're going to have a great time tomorrow. So they come back tomorrow. When they come back tomorrow, Dagon's not just flat on his face. His head's off. His arms are off. His legs are off. He is unput back togetherable. I just made that word up. Unput back togetherable. That's a great word, though. I wonder if it's in the dictionary. I don't know. He is unput back togetherable. He is busted, so they went, this is crazy. So not only that, God also gave them a pain in the bottom. He gave them all the pain in the bottom. And the pain in the bottom was hemorrhoids. Now, our God's funny. Isn't he funny? He, he attacks our enemies in secret places. Sometimes you got to wonder, what is that? God is a pain in the bottom. So sure enough, I don't know who modeled it, but they modeled, somebody had to model the hemorrhoids because they made golden hemorrhoids. And they made all these golden hemorrhoids and they put them on the cart, they put them inside the ark, they put them everywhere, and they sent the Ark of Covenant back to Israel. They took uh, two calves that could pull it, but they were being not weaned yet. They should still want their mother, but, but they put them untrained at pulling a cart, took two, two calves that should not be able to do this, don't want to do this, but sure enough, when they hooked them up to the ark, they immediately took the ark right back to Israel. So these guys all knew that was God gave us a pain in the bottom, and we need to send him back. And sadly, their God is better than our God. So that's the journey of the ark. Are you journeying with me? I wanted to bring you to how it got up on the hill over there. But in all of this time, nobody is looking for God. And then when they sent it back, it came to Kiriath-Cheriam, and they all looked inside of it and checked it all out, and a whole bunch of people died. It got all messy. So they said, God's clearly upset with us. So Abinadab, if you don't mind, we're going to tuck him over in your place up on the hill and let Eliezer take care of him. And then decades passed. Decades passed. Nobody was looking for the presence of God. How is everybody? Luke 7. A little turn the corner real quick. You ready? Luke 7, 16 and 17. Here's Jesus. He's ministering and people's lives are getting touched. Uh, the widow at Nain came out with her only son. He showed up, touched the casket. Boom, the child's raised up. Everybody's hearing about this. And it says this in the message. It says, they all realized they were in a place of holy mystery. That God was at work among them. You know, I don't have words to explain what happened to me last week. They were all realized that they were in a place of holy mystery, that God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful, and then they were noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back, looking to the needs of his people. Settle down. They all realized, wow, 
even though the people who should be looking for his presence haven't been, God is running after us. God is pursuing us. God is back looking to the needs of his people. And the news of Jesus spread through the whole country. Now listen, when the glory of God comes, it's going to mess up the status quo. When the glory of God comes, things get messy. I know when the glory of God hit our church back in the 90s, there were times I had to lay on the floor and preach from my back. There were times I would try to preach and I would say, <laughs> it was really clear in my head, but I, I had a disconnect with my mouth. You know, well, that's stupid. I thought it was too. And yet people were being healed, people were running to the altar, lives were being transformed, and I was saying, well, that was good. You know, when God's glory comes, people climb trees. He had a rich chief tax collector. He ran up a tree trying to see Jesus. People do funny things when the glory of God comes. When the glory of God comes, people crash parties. Yeah, and a girl who was unwelcome at a Pharisee's party, and she came into that religious place. Someone who they considered unclean, she didn't care. She went right in a place where a woman feared to tread. She could have been killed for showing up there. She said, I don't give a rip. And she brought a, a, a whole year's worth of earnings and broke them on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Can you imagine? Picture that. Picture that. A woman breaking perfume on his feet. The smell filled the whole room, and Jesus is there talking to them, and while he's doing it there's a, a woman who they all know what's going on here this woman is wiping this perfume all over his feet with her hair that's really awkward but that really happened you know when the glory of God comes people do strange things when the glory of God was in the house there were so many people around the house nobody could get in so these four guys figured our friend needs Jesus so they went up on the roof and they tore the roof open and they dropped their friend down right in front of him I mean Jesus is preaching sharing with everybody and I was like <laughs> really strange things happen when the glory of God is in the room are you ready for the glory of God are you ready for some strange things to go on well, I'm not going back there. Did you see that weirdness? We had some guy singing a prophetic thing last week. How weird was that? You're going to see weirder things than this. People ignore barriers. People do things. People get set free. The, the, the Gadarenes, demon-possessed guy, the, the chain up. Suddenly he breaks his chains and he runs to the feet of Jesus and says, have mercy on me. Are you ready for the captives, the broken, who are wondering, is there any place where I can get help? Are you ready for the broken to run into this place and get set free? Are you ready for that? Yeah. I really want you to open your heart. I want you to be ready because you know what? When the glory of God comes, it gets messy. Who's ready for a mess? Good, because we're looking for a mess. You know what happens, though, when the glory of God comes? Religious people throw a fit. The religious people, I don't like it, don't like it, don't like it. The religious hit the door, everybody else hits the floor, and everything's good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So here we are. David says, I want to bring the ark of God back to me. All right? So you can look in 2 Samuel 6, 1 Chronicles 13. You can see this whole thing. So David goes and he says, look, we're going to bring the ark of God back. Where is the ark? It's over at Abinadab's place. Let's go get the ark. So he goes and gets the ark and he throws it on a cart with some wheels 
Exactly what the Philistines did. Philistines don't know any better. They don't have a covenant. They don't understand the law. They don't understand how to do stuff. They don't get it, so they throw it on a cart. So David says, hey, the way the Philistines did it, pretty cool. Grab a cart, and let's bring the glory back to town. And David said, let's dance, let's groove, let's sing some songs. Woo! Great is your faithfulness Woo! to us. Then the ark hit a bump in the road. It started to fall down, and Uzzah decided that I can stabilize the glory of God. I can handle the glory of God. I, I'll help you out, Lord. I'll help you. Looks like you're having a little tumble, but I'm going to throw my body in the way and make sure you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> Uzzah was dead. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So David's like, what? Verse 12 says, David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? I mean, I was so excited about today. I mean, we had everything set up. We invited everybody. We had the best singers. We had the best players. And I mean, all I wanted was your presence, Lord. And people died. This isn't good. David was afraid of God that day. The word Nacon, it was the threshing floor of Nacon and in Kaidon. So you got two names there, and here's what it means. David did not exercise the right preparation and because he was not prepared, it was his ruin. He didn't prepare properly to bring the glory of God to town. He thought, you can just throw it on any old thing. You can do it any old way. It's all good. All we got to have is a good heart, right? Amen. I mean, we have good intentions. And you know what? It is the right thing to do. But he did it the wrong way. There's a lot of people trying to do the right things even today. There's a lot of people trying to figure out, God's not here. How do we get him here? Well, here's the first problem. He is here. The fact you don't think he's here is because of your stupid thinking. <laughs> They're all trying to do something that only God can do, and in fact, what God already did. But you see, there is something that David had a revelation of, and that was Zion. And you need to take the presence of God to Zion. And where will God minister out of? Zion. There is a strong prescription for how God is going to change the world, and it's called the church. There's a lot of people want to bypass the church. A lot of people have been hurt by the church. A lot of people don't like the church. A lot of people trying to bring the presence of God through all kinds of other vehicles. And yet the only thing that's going to be used to change the world is the body of Christ. And I do think there's got to be some reform in the body of Christ. I really do. And yet, you know, just because it's been misused and abused doesn't mean it should be disused. It's still the eternal purpose of God. Amen. But David didn't prepare properly, and because he didn't prepare properly, things got ugly. So David thought he would bring the presence of God to town using might, which is Uzzah means strength and might, and Ohio means resembling or being just the same. He thought, let's bring the presence of God into town using boards and big wheels. And if you go to most churches, you can look on their webpage, you find out who the board is, and find out who the big wheel is, and the boards and the big wheels will bring the glory of God to town. Amen, enough said about that. There's a lot of different ministries in towns, boards and big wheels. They're all telling us how God's going to get to town. Breaks my heart. Because every single time, nothing happens, nothing works, no revival, no demonstration. But we keep on doing the same thing over and over again, hoping to see a different result. And that actually is the definition of insanity. Are we getting too personal right now? All right, all right, this is good. Hey, this is good. If you don't understand, I might be glad about that. So 2 Samuel, Samuel 6, verse 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. Say Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Say Gittite. 
You know what a Gittite is? It's when you get bit by a termite. It's a Gittite. So, no. <laughs> a Gittite is a Gentile. A Gittite, he was a Gittite because he was born in Gath. Here's somebody who was born in the place where a Goliath was born. He's a Gentile. He's not even someone who's under the covenant. So he says, oh, over there, there's a Gentile's house, right? Let's tuck the ark over there for a while until we can figure out what's going on because that was not pretty. In fact, I'm a little concerned about the whole thing. So David shoves, shoves it over there in Obed-Edom's house. Obed-Edom, interesting. Obed and Edom, as you put them together, it's a servant of blood. Servant of blood. And I'll tell you something. The only thing that gives you access to the glory of God is the blood of Jesus. Let me say that again because you were sleeping. The only thing that gives you access to the glory of God is the blood of Jesus. It's not about striving and all this other stuff. It's not about power and might. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the hymn writer said, the spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. All right. Let's move on. First Chronicles 13, 14. The ark remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. Say three months. That'd be like January, February, March. For three months, Obed-Edom, tap, tap, tap. Hey, how you doing? The king of Israel's out here, and uh, David, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, David, yeah. Uh, we got a little box that we'd like to kind of tuck somewhere for a while. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, King David, okay. So Obed-Edom opens his door and says, sure, I guess you can shove it in here for a while. So they shove the ark into Obed-Edom's house, and for three months it remained there, and after three months David was like, hey, somebody find out what's going on over at Obed-Edom's house. Because, I mean, Uzzah died. I hope his kids weren't messing around and playing with it. Because I don't know what's going on. But I, not what I expected took place there. So he shoves it in the house over Obed-Edom in the house for three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. January, February, March. January, February, March. I don't know which months it was, but it was 90 days. And something happened to Obed-Edom's personal world, his life, his family, and everything that he had, there was something demonstrative that took place in his life that everybody knew it's going really, really good over at Obed-Edom's place. Not just hope so, not think so, but he is ridiculously blessed. I heard he pulled a carrot out of the ground that was 400 pounds and six feet long. Everything in his home, it's blessed, it's blessed, it's blessed, it's blessed. Why was it blessed? Because he opened the door. Welcome, presence of God. The presence of God came and everything he had was blessed. First Chronicles 15, 13, and 14. David then says, guys, he talks to the priest. He says, what's going on? I mean, I knew we should have the blessing. What, what did we mess with? What happened? He said, you, because you did not do this the first time, the Lord your God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. The proper order. In Ephesians 3, you can read about the household purpose, the household plan. You can read about, I'm building something, says the Lord, and there is a household pattern that is blessed. They didn't pursue. They did not consult God. They didn't consult him about the proper order. And they found out that the ark is always born on the shoulders by poles, and then you get access to it by the blood. You don't go into the presence without 
blood. So David went back this time. He took all the singers and went, Great is your faithfulness, oh God. But the ark was not on a cart. The ark was on the shoulders of the priesthood. And in front of them, they were slaughtering some carcasses of animals. The oxen were slaughtered. Every six steps, they made another sacrifice. Great is your... Every six steps, it was a big trail of blood. They danced. They sang, and David went, it's working. It's working. David danced. David got so violently into it that he was, at the end, he was in his underwear. Just a linen ephod. By the time he got to Jerusalem, he was dancing, and all the ladies were going, ooh, look at David in his underwear. Ooh. And his wife looked out the window and said, look at you. You fool. Look at all these young girls looking at you. Your skirt's rising up. What are you doing? And when he got home, he said, you, you dignified yourself today, didn't you? He says, oh, you don't think so? He says, you know what? I'll become even more undignified than this. It's time to get a little undignified. It's time to get a little reckless about the glory of God. Are you okay? We're going to bring the glory of God to town, I tell you. Gonna take some passion, some fun. You get passionate when you. David said, "I knew it, I knew it, I knew it." I'm bringing the glory of God to town, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. He did not consult the proper order, but when he got it right, access to the glory is found exclusively through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews nine verse seven says, "But only the high priest entered once a year. Once a year he went into the inner room, the holy of holies, and that was once a year, and never without." blood never without blood the pattern had blood the pattern you had to have blood the pattern you had and we're going to talk about the blood going all the way up to to easter you're going to have fun but we're going to talk about how to apply and how there's power in the blood of jesus and we're going to see the glory of god but it never happens without blood there's the tabernacle of david you got that picture there boom that's it that's the there's the ark that was the ark Right there, a little box with a cherubim on the top, and right there below, that's called the mercy seat. That's where he met with them. That's where he spoke from. That was the presence of God in the Old Covenant. And David took it, and he put a little tent over it, and that is what the tabernacle of David looked like. And it was put in a courtyard, and everybody had access to the presence of God. That was what David did, because David had a heart after God. The tabernacle of Moses, it showed the perfection needed to become before a holy God, a presence of God, no sin, no illness legitimacy none of that i mean it was all full of rules and full of law you know what got nailed to the cross the law got nailed to the cross go read it in colossians chapter 2 that written code that was against us it got nailed to the cross david understood the heart of god the tabernacle showed us the grace of god faith in god promises of god his character he makes a way so we can all have equal access to god so that's the covenant that god made so let me move on to obed edom boom boom obed edom let me just give you obed edom five things that happened to obed edom really fast you ready because when you get whacked with the glory of god these things happen here's what obed edom did number one when they said we're taking the ark from you you know what obed edom did he said Honey, pack up the stuff, because if the ark is leaving, I'm leaving. If the glory of God is moving on, I'm moving on. Where I, you know what I learned standing in the presence of God for three months? Wherever the presence of God is, that's where I want to be. 
That's what David learned. And when they said the presence of God is moving on, he packed up the house and he moved on with the presence of God. And when it talks about the dancers and the singers and the musicians, it says, and Obed-Edom was there with them. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit of God. It's all about His presence, every bit of it. Number two, number two, I'm going the wrong way. Number two, number two, you become a servant. It says Obed-Edom later, he didn't go back to his house. He was done. He left all the familiar stuff and he went with the presence of God and it says he became a servant he was a doorkeeper for the ark he was a doorkeeper I tell you you get touched by God it makes you a servant next thing is you're given authority in 1 Chronicles 26 17 it says Obed even was given the responsibility for the south gate you know, gates are places of authority and Obed Edom when he went after the glory of God you know what came with that authority you know what you have when you embrace the glory of God Jesus said all authority has been given to me now I give you authority to rule over every single power of darkness. When you go after the glory of God, you leave the familiar stuff behind. You become a servant of God and you're given authority to reign and rule in life. This is all what happened to Obed-Edom. Number four was you're given provision. It says to Obed-Edom and to his sons was given the responsibility to the storehouse. My God shall supply all my needs out of his riches and glory. The fifth thing that happened was you're given trust. It says that Obed-Edom, it says when they came and when they did overcome Jerusalem, it says they came to get all the gold and the silver and the articles, precious things that were used in worship. And where were they? They were found with Obed-Edom. You see, when you go after the glory of God, the glory of God touches you. The glory of God moves on you. There's ridiculous benefits for someone who's intoxicated with the presence, power, and glory of God. And all these wonderful blessings on Obed-Edom, all he did was open the door. Access to the glory is found exclusively through the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood was shed so that once and for all, access to the throne room is because of Jesus alone. And you know what? Because Jesus shed his, blood, shed his blood, you have absolute total access to every benefit that God has. And it's not because you've done anything. It's because he did everything. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But he gives it away. He did it all. And I receive every benefit because I just simply say, thank you. I got whacked to the glory of God and I'm not going to live another moment of my life outside of his presence. David sent the presence of God to the home of a Gentile farmer and all he did was open the door. And if you just open the door, just open the door, he'll come in, he'll fill your heart and your life and you'll be transformed forever. Galatians 3.26 says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons and daughters of God through your effort, through, through your striving. Through No, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in the fact that Jesus, that final type of that whole sacrificial system, Jesus was the culminating act of God where he cut a covenant in his own son, God with God, and they said, welcome home. And all you gotta do is you hear that little tap right now on the door of your heart saying, I want to come in. He says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and I'll dwell with you and I'll sup with you and you'll experience every blessing of a wonderful God. Come on.